Hello and welcome to another episode of the Leaders Sport Business Podcast, the podcast about leaders in sport from Leaders in Sport. My name is James Emmett. I'm the editorial director here at Leaders. And with me, as ever, is my great good colleague, the content director here at Leaders. It's David Kushnan. David, how are you? I'm well, James. How are you? I'm okay. I'm between colds, I think, at the moment. January, isn't it? See, I was going to say I'm revved up and fired to go for 2024. Oh, no doubt. Me too. Just physically, I have been better. Okay. (laughs) Well, it's a strong start. Uh, Busy year ahead in the sports industry and beyond. Uh, I personally am always around about 5 to 7% more excited about a year when it's an Olympic year. Yes. And a leap as well this year. It is a leap year. I noticed that last week as I was flicking through my diary. Every summer Olympic year is a leap year. You should remember that. And also, this coming year is the Chinese year of the dragon, which is the most auspicious uh, Chinese uh, years, I believe. And I also read genuinely that the Saudi Arabians have dubbed this the year of the camel because they are going to use it as an opportunity to promote the history, the heritage of the camel. Do you know what year? I, th- I think this is the year of the Kushnan. I think, Do you? Yeah, I think this is the year that you finally blossom uh, into the, into the well, into the executive, I know you can be. To a new decade. Yeah, yeah. I think you blossom into a new decade, mm. yeah. Um, what are you up to at the moment, David, in terms of your professional outlook? Professionally, uh, it is a big planning phase here, obviously trying to get ahead of the game. At the start of the year, uh, our eyes are turning gently towards um, Leaders Week London, actually, in October, uh, but also before that, uh, Force New York in May. Uh, there's, yeah, there's plenty going on, a lot of ideas bubbling. I like this time of year because everything's possible yeah. and you've got a blank sheet of paper on which to write every outlandish idea. A lot of them get crossed off you by always, the time we get to the event, but you, you uh, this st- is a good moment. You always start a new year, I think. My experience of you starting a new year is you have these sort of resolutions to go for a coffee uh, with lots and lots of industry folk, and you sort of go for two coffees, and then uh, and then you, your sort of day-to-day work really begins. Well, there's a, there is a, a moment, and I fear that moment has already passed this year, where the diary yeah. is beautifully pristine, short of internal meetings clear as the driven snow and that's starting to change already but i am going to make an omission at january and february uh, to get out and about so uh, if you would like to go for a coffee with me why not drop me a line um yours is a flat white is it no it's a black americano it's a white americano how long have we worked together? I don't know. Um, two things I'd like to flag for our loyal and dear listeners um, that I'm currently working on and I would love their support on. Um, number one, it's a new-ish weekly newsletter that you and I write and produce, David. It's called Worth Knowing and it really is worth knowing uh, and subscribing to. Um, click newsletters, I think, on the Leaders website and you'll be able to do that. Also want to flag that we have got a small... Um, uh, project uh, ongoing in China, in Macau, um, helping to do a bit of programming for a really interesting bunch of um, execs out there putting on an event um, that's about China's re-emergence on the global sporting stage. 24th, 25th of Feb, it's coming up fast. Um, But if China is of interest to you, you are of interest to me. So do get in touch. Shall we, um, well, we should flag that we have got a guest joining us a little bit later in the podcast. Um, It's uh, Gary Warwick, 
who is the head of sports and entertainment at Veritone, which is one of these um, large um, sort of media tech businesses um, that's underpinning uh, a lot of um, commercial activity within sport. Do you think he's going to put our minds at rest about AI? Because I suspect it is actually going to be the year of AI. Hey. AI. Oh, it's pronounced AI. Um, yeah, yeah, I hope so. He's an AI specialist. Veritone um, have used AI as a, a sort of backbone technology for a lot of the products that they use. Um, I hope he puts our minds at rest. I know he knows a lot more about AI than we do. We will see. But should we get cracking with our traditional and strictly formatted uh, news roundup? That's right, James. It's time for you to turn around this way. I'll turn around that way. And together, we'll have the full 360 covered. This is 180 Seconds of Sports Biz. And it's been a big week for Gareth Bolch and his team at Two Circles. Confirmation that a majority stake in the agency has been sold by Bruin to Charterhouse Capital Partners for $300 million north of, I believe. Co-founder Bolch and his management team are staying on as Bruin exit after four years having acquired the bulk of the business for around $40 million in 2019. Another tumultuous week in golf with CEO Keith Pelly leaving the DP World Tour for a new role heading up Maple Leafs Sports and Entertainment, parent company of the Toronto Raptors and Maple Leafs. But the tour has a ready-made replacement in the top job with Guy Kinnings taking up the role. Meanwhile, Martin Slumbers will leave his role as CEO of Open Championship Organizer and Rulemaking Body, the RNA, later this year. And in the US, NFL media chief Brian Rolap is reportedly in the frame to lead the PGA Tour's proposed new commercial arm. Other major executive news of note as the new year begins, Emily Prazer has been promoted to Chief Commercial Officer at Formula One after a stint helping organise the Las Vegas Grand Prix. And Marie Donoghue has left her role heading up Amazon Prime Video's Global Sport Division. Amazon, meanwhile, is just about to roll out its new ad tier around the world, following the model adopted by Disney and Netflix. The NFL playoffs are underway, and after a regular season where audiences were up 7%. But before that, two of football's most storied coaching stints came to an end within hours of each other. Bill Belichick leaving the New England Patriots and Nick Saban retiring as head coach of Alabama. Another leader synonymous with his team is also out. The Haas F1 team has parted company with team principal and breakout Drive to Survive star Gunter Steiner. As Netflix launches season two of Tennis Doc Breakpoint, the production company behind it, Box to Box, has signed a deal to make a series following Major League Soccer that will air on Apple+. Plus. MLS has also this week launched an innovation lab, which will help identify cutting-edge startups and advanced technologies. And the drinks are on the IOC and sponsorship chief and Sophie Vumar this week. The Olympics has its first global beer partner after AB InBev signed up as a worldwide Olympic partner until after the LA 2028 Games. It will promote its non-alcoholic Corona Cero. Also of note this week, a major new UEFA deal for Euro 2024 with Chinese electric car manufacturer BYD. That is 180 Seconds of Sports Biz. David, should we bring in uh, Gary Warwick at this stage? Let's do just that. Because he's right in front of us on these computer screens, so we may as well be rude not to. Um, Gary, uh, come in. Are you reading us? How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Well, you are welcome. Um, David and I are here at Leaders HQ in 
I mean, it's an outdated uh, studio environment, I'd say. I don't know where the, the strip light sort of vibe came back from, um, but we need to change it. Um, Gary, where are you? Where, where are you talking to us from? I am in New Jersey, uh, and a little snowy today. You had a little dusting overnight, but um, yeah, I'm uh, right about 30 miles outside of New York City. Okay. Um, and uh, Gary, give us a, give us the skinny on um, on Veritone. When you're at your um, swanky um, New York kind of soirees, and you're being introduced to um, you know all sorts of glamorous people, and they ask you what you do, what do you tell them? That's a great question. Um, well, we tell them that you know we we are uh, Veritone is a is a in the sports marketing space is a fairly well kept secret. We are mm, uh, we are a, a ten year old company started in 2014, went public in 2017, founded by two brothers Ryan and Chad Steelberg, who are serial entrepreneurs. Uh, this is their seventh company, I believe. The last company they created, they sold to Google. They're former ad tech guys. They saw a need in the market, um, and you know to to try and figure out how to create efficiencies and track and measure. And so they built an AI operating system. It's an open architecture system that allows for any and all uh, large language models or, or, or AI engines, if you will, to be to reside in there. They can go in and out. And that's kind of the underpinning of, of the technology. And uh, on top of that are, are a bunch of systems like a digital asset management system or um, you know, or some other techs that tech that's been developed to service different markets. At this stage in the in the dinner party in the soiree, you've just set off an a conversation alarm there <laughs> by mentioning AI, and automatically whoever you're talking to there, introducing yourself, is going to then come back to you with, "Oh, you're one of those AI guys, are you, Gary? Are you coming for my job?" And how do you respond to that? Of course not. <laughs> we are not. Uh, you know, there there's there's a lot been said. There's a lot of conversation around that, and and the 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 answer is that we're we're in a position to be able to create tremendous amount of efficiencies to be able to spur new markets and new jobs and new technologies and new capabilities for humans to be a, a part of uh you know the the, the marketplace is always shifts technology always provides the the same issue you know the internet's going to take this job the radio is going to take this job the the you know streaming is going to take this job it all spurs new uh, and exciting opportunities for for folks, but but the the AI component is around efficiency and revenue generation, and so you'll start to see, and we can get a little bit more into this later, but you'll start to see you know some of the shifts in the marketplace around everything from the way youth interact with media to to the way that the university, the high schools and universities are changing the curriculum to adjust, uh, and I think you'll see a, a whole new set of of uh, jobs and, and employment opportunities across the board. Yeah, just I, I'm I'm always fascinated by um, all this. I mean, we talk to um, people like Gary a, a lot, but as you know, um, people who work for <clears throat> these big tech organizations that kind of underpin um, the fabric of how the sports business works, right? They're not necessarily sort of top of mind for consumer than these names, but they're they're critical for how sport operates. So I'm always fascinated by people like Gary um you know do you consider yourself a tech guy or a sports guy and i i sort of suspect looking at the room you're in uh, you don't have a lot of posters of binary code behind you gary you seem to have uh you seem to have sports photos behind uh, so i am not a tech guy 
Uh, I started out my career in the sports marketing space uh, way, way back in the day where uh, for Foot Locker on the corporate side. And we did sports marketing events and represented athletes and made for TV events. And I represented the NCAA and sold college athletics for a long time. And I've been in sports my entire career uh, in and around it forever. Uh, I played college basketball. I've coached it. Um, but I'm a sports guy and a sports junkie at, at heart. And so, uh, yeah, I've been very, very privileged to work with a number of sports organizations and, and athletes along the way. And what you see behind me is just uh, some of the fond memories of uh, of folks like, uh, I don't know who's back there, Will Chamberlain and Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson and the like, and the list goes on and on. So very privileged. Uh, but at this stage of my career, you know, I joined Ertone about almost a year ago, and it was about getting back into understanding what my passions were. My passion's always been around sports, and so the ability to create uh, an opportunity around sports and technology and, and AI in particular, excuse me, in particular was, was exciting for me and, and I'm excited to be here and we're, uh, we're off and running doing some pretty cool stuff in the AI space. Gary, are you willing to share whether you have a team or not? You know, it's a great question. My team, uh, are, are, uh, about my family. My, my oldest son, uh, plays, uh, played, uh, in Europe for 10 years, played basketball overseas for 10 years. And so we followed his career and whatever team he was playing for, either in Germany or in Israel, we followed him. And my, my other two played college basketball. Uh, my youngest just got done playing college basketball and now he's actually coaching the university level. And so we follow those teams. And so those are my teams. I follow, uh, wherever my kids are involved. I, um, I tend to follow those, but no, I'm not a, all, all things being equal, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, so uh, my father corrupted me and my and my children to follow the Philadelphia team. So I'll leave it at that. Good answer. Um, we're going to come back to all things AI and get your take on a, a couple of particular areas um, in a little while, Gary. But wanted to reflect a bit on what we just ran through in the 180 seconds of sports biz. James and I looking through some of the uh, the bigger stories, the bigger talking points of the sports industry week. And James, I know you wanted to uh, say something about sports documentaries uh, because uh, they're a thing. Yeah, I mean, you've been pretty down on sports docs, I think, of late, David. I, I notice a sort of ennui uh, about you when it comes to them. But I'm hoping that 2024, you've turned a new leaf and you're, you're back in the game and ready to watch some content because there's plenty of content coming, FYI. More on that later, but the good news uh, on that front is that, yes, I think uh, sports documentaries and I have, have repaired our relationship. That's good. Um, yes, I wanted to pick up on the news that Box to Box has signed a deal with Major League Soccer, or probably more personally, Major League Soccer has signed a deal with Box to Box um, for a new doc that's going to be distributed um, on Apple TV Plus, of course, because of Major League Soccer's uh, wide ranging agreement there. Um, don't know how much uh, this is worth, but I presume, David, that there is a pretty hefty box-to-box -box, uh, premium at this stage. They are absolutely the documentary maker um, du jour. Um, obviously, the drive to survive people, but um, uh, Point Break um, as well. And Break Point. Point. It's a surfing point, one, isn't point, it? <laughs> it's point, I think Point Break's a movie. Yes, it's a surfing movie, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, and uh, tennis, golf, um, uh, and plenty more besides. Um, Major League Soccer 
uh, a new one. The first one I think that they're going to do off Netflix. Um, they've always been associated with Netflix. Really, uh, it's time for them to make hay at the moment. And making hay is what they're doing. News has just come out today that they've accepted investment for an undisclosed stake, but for around $40 million um, from Bruin. That rings a bell, a sort of stake for $40 million, given what we're talking about uh, with two circles earlier. Um, but things just seem to be going for, from from good to great um, for box to box. And um, I think it's worth sort of looking at other lauded documentary makers in the market and what their kind of journey seems to be. Um, it wasn't too long ago that we were talking about, um, before box to box came on the scene, we were talking about um, people like Libby Geist and Connor Shell, who were um, working at ESPN, and I think they were um, real driving producers behind the 30 for 30 series. Um, Libby Geist, um, very much involved in the Jordan documentary that took Netflix by storm um, over COVID. They've now got their own production business, Words and Pictures, you don't hear quite as much about them as you do about box to box but the sort of projects that they're working on now equally potentially transformative i would say so there's a a michael chang documentary in uh, in in the works at the moment there's something on the us women's national team um at the latest women's world cup they've got something that they must be in post production or ready to go on now the on the nascar um playoffs which is coming out uh, on netflix in the coming days maybe uh, and also what looks like an amazing documentary, potentially transformative Jordan-level documentary on the Yankees. Um, I don't, I'm not sure that they have taken on investment like Box to Box, but I wonder where a company like Box to Box goes with uh, a big old a chunk of investment from a company like Bruin. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think there are extensions to the behind-the-scenes documentary, multi-part documentary format that can be explored. There's uh, longer-form originals, movies. Um, I do wonder whether a next step for some of these rights holders looking to add a behind-the-scenes offering could be something live, and that obviously comes with a whole bunch of complications and additional challenges but if there's an appetite for it amongst fans and all the indications are that there seems to be an appetite for access all areas with athletes or inside teams inside all aspects of an organization that could be a strand that's pursued so i think there's a lot of um there's a lot of uh, opportunity still in that sort of behind the scenes space whether it, it continues to be in the multi-part documentary series that box to box have sort of perfected the formula for we'll have to we'll have to wait and see how much can you give us an idea of how much archive footage is worth to a rights holder at the moment we we mentioned a few of the, the different documentaries that are in production at the moment box to box for example working with major league soccer actually we talked about um uh, words and pictures and a big yankees documentary that is in production uh, and that's going to be old footage from Major League Baseball spanning back years and years and years. How much is that, you know, what are the negotiations that play out in terms of sort of access to archive footage for a documentary and how much is it worth? That's a great question. Uh, I, I, 
not going to get into the, you know, it's, this is the rate card for that, that, for those types of things. Um, but clearly the amount of footage you have and the value of that particular footage is going to, to bend greatly, right? If you're, uh, if you're Deion Sanders and you're in the PAC 12 and you know, you've got a huge following and, 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 and it's your point in time and in, in, in the industry right now to, to take advantage of that, then, then that footage is worth a great deal to somebody. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're world athletics or your CBS news, uh, and you've got such a huge archive that, that you don't know where it goes and you don't know who's going to want for it. Uh, there's an opportunity to make significant amount of money. The challenge at the moment is, and, and, and where the industry is going is who has those rights and where is the, where's the actual content residing? And then how do you get it into a format that's easily accessible and easily monetized? Uh, but the, the, the business transaction varies. Some folks will, will work off of the rep share. Some folks will work, will, will want a minimum guarantee, but it, it, it really depends on the efficacy of the library and, and where we think or where anyone thinks the, the money's going to come from. I always think the restrictions in, um, kind of clearly where a documentary or a piece or a film has been unable to secure archive footage somehow the restrictions that that puts on them in terms of what they turn to to tell the story that they need to tell is often is often met with quite creative solutions right you know you'll you'll use kind of uh graphical renderings or kind of live cartoon draw almost live cartoon drawings to kind of depict something but you know it is also glaringly obvious that they have not been able to get the footage which they no doubt would have wanted um yes yes um major league soccer sticking with major league soccer um they've also launched a new uh, scheme an innovation lab we saw a wave of these um i think probably four or five years ago there are a spate of these kind of rights holder um incubate incubators essentially business incubators uh usually with an innovation or a tech focus and it was difficult in this first wave of these to work out whether this or this this was sort of a marketing play on a rights holders um, from a rights holders point of view whether they were genuinely looking to find breakthrough technology. I'm interested now. We're definitely in kind of innovation lab 2.0 um, territory. What Major League Soccer's intention with this is? Have you got any particular insight on this, David? Uh, not specific insight, but I think you're right and. It has been quite tricky, I think, to work out with the the wave of innovation labs that we've seen launch what the what the end goal is. It seems to be a combination of a bit of a test and learn environment uh, for organizations and I think of the MBA, for example, to almost take some educated guesses on future technology. Um, some equity stakes um, in certain cases and some investment in a variety of uh, pretty small in some cases uh, solution providers. Um, it's it's not clear from the MLS's specific announcement exactly uh, the way in which they're going to support these um, uh, various startups and solutions that they're going to identify. I guess there's also a value that the league is attaching to being attached to the MLS for one of these uh, one of these small uh, businesses that is in startup mode. So I think there's there's something in that. Uh, but yeah, I think it's it's a 
we what we know about MLS is that they have not been backward in making a pretty giant step in terms of their broadcast um, deal and the bro- the production around it. Working with Apple, there's a whole model there that is obviously tech driven, and so adding anything that's additive to that, I think, is something that they're going to be uh, very much seeking out of what is. Let's not forget a very cluttered, crowded marketplace of solutions, services, and new ways to, quote, enhance the fan experience. Yeah. Gary, in your perspective, are these sort of uh, initiatives, are, they, are these substantive things or is it marketing fluff? I imagine they're, I imagine I imagine people are coming after Veritone asking you to be involved in this sort of thing from time to time. Yes, correct. They are. Uh, but let me first start by saying I don't know anything about the MLS situation. So my comments have nothing to do with MLS. I can I can speak to where we are as a company and, and, and the experiences we've had recently. Um, yes, we have been involved in uh, a few of these incubator programs. Uh, I think they're for real. The, the rights holders and, and the networks and the folks who are hiring, um, either creating their own or hiring outside organizations to come in and help them vet the technology. Everybody, you know, going back to the dinner party, everybody wants to understand AI. What is it? How does it work? How do you make money at it? And a lot of these organizations just are not set up for that. The, the, the skill level, the skill set, the background is not inside the building. And so they're all looking for, how do I go out and either buy it or build it? Um, and, and so a number of these folks have, have, have been created over the years. And now their focus around tech is around AI specifically. And so you've got uh, a lot of these uh, organizations that are out there trying to kick the tires to figure out how do I bring this in? And, and David, to your point, what we've seen, yes, some of it is, is an equity play, get in on the ground floor, help the, help the, the startup get, get started, but then also take a piece of it when it blows up. So there's, there's certain, certainly some calculated uh, triaging going on there. Just to add, uh, as far as the MLS Innovation Lab specifically, uh, it is being designed as an annual program. Um, they talk about not only identifying, but incubating the next generation of sports tech companies. And actually, there is going to be a presentation made by a group of uh, these companies um, with a view uh, to having not only MLS itself, but um, owners, team owners, um, potentially invest. They talk about long-term strategic partnerships, investment opportunities from the league. Um, they're talking about uh, putting together a cohort, which is a word that is increasingly being used in relation to these type of things um, in and out of the sports industry. But yes, it looks as though this is a an annual program that is being set up uh, with a view to some form of um, either human investment or financial investment going forward. David, should we talk about um, these two substantial sponsorship deals that have been done in the last few days? The IOC bringing on their first ever uh, beer partner um, to the top program. And my tip for the top, um, UEFA's new deal with a Chinese electrical uh, electric vehicle manufacturer. Yes, one of the biggest uh, spenders on sports sponsorship and a, a newcomer to the fold in some respects. Amazing that that they've that they've not done that AB and Bev has not done a not done an Olympics deal before. Yes, it is, um, and it's amazing that the IOC hasn't done a a beer deal before. But all that is changing. 
so this is AB InBev uh, becoming the IOC's uh, 15th current worldwide partner. Um, they will be promoting a non-alcoholic brand, Corona Cero, um, in a four-year deal that will cover three games. So that's Paris 2024, the Winter Games in Milan Cortina 2026, and LA 2028. I think um, these top deals, top partnership deals, have been historically worth somewhere in the region of $150 million to $200 million over four years. We don't know where this one lands, and I suspect there has been a little bit of a, a maybe correction in the in the marketplace in terms of the overall investment. I was doing a little bit of uh, looking to see uh, who the other IOC top partners currently are, just to remind myself. This is the 15th deal um, that the IOC currently has on its books with Anne-Sophie Vumar and her team uh, leading the commercial acquisition process for partners at the moment. So there are five top partners whose deals um, run out, set to run out following the conclusion of the Paris game. So that's Atos, Bridgestone, Intel, Panasonic and Toyota. Uh, there are six partners who are now contracted through to post LA 2028. That's Alibaba, Airbnb, Allianz, uh, the new AB InBev deal, P&G and Samsung. And then there's four partners who are signed up through 2032, which will be the Brisbane Games. Uh, that is Deloitte, Amiga, um, Visa and Coca-Cola Mengui, which is this uniquely structured deal involving uh, the soft drink brand yes, Coca-Cola milk and, soda. and milk uh, from China. So there's a couple of ways to look at that, I think, and a couple of things to pick out from that. I would suggest it uh, indicates the strength of the LA Games as a hook for the IOC. And obviously, we know all about the LA market and the potential of an LA Olympics. I think we're maybe gradually starting to head towards the exit for a couple of the big Japanese brands who um, were obviously involved and have been involved in the Tokyo cycle. And we're all generally quite unfortunate, I think, that circumstances dictated that that Games was a bit of a shadow of what it could have been. And there are a couple of ways to look at this. On the one hand, wow, there's a lot of work for the IOC to do. There's five partners um, whose deals are expiring at the end of the year. On the other hand, you've got four through to 2032 and another six that uh, have another four years to run. So take that as a whole. And it sort of feels to me like the IOC, for all the doubts about the continuing relevance of the Olympic Games and some of the challenges around the Olympic movement, is in a pretty healthy condition, actually. And uh, that says a lot about the enduring power and impact that the the games can have. It's still one of the only truly, truly, truly global sponsorship platforms. Worth saying um, kudos to Anne-Sophie Vumar um, for her first, I believe it's her first major top partnership um, deal signed since she took over the top commercial job at the IOC from Timo Lummer. Um, I wonder why it is the, the first beer brand ever to come on board with, an I, with a global IOC partnership. I presume it's something to do with um, navigating the alcohol advertising restrictions around the world, large swathes of the globe that uh, don't, at least on the surface, um, go in for drinking alcohol. Um, but who knows? A little bit of that, and I would suspect also that it's no coincidence that they have landed on a non-alcoholic brand to be the the front and center brand from within the ab inbev 
group. So yes, we'll we'll see how that is activated. Obviously, they've only got a short run up until Paris 2024, uh, but AB and AB InBev know how to do these kind of big sponsorship deals. Um, Marcelo McColdes and Elko van der Noll, uh, two of the key players on the AB InBev uh, side. Um, Elko, head of partnerships, and Marcelo, uh, the CMO. Over yes, there. indeed. Um, I just want to mention um, this new Euro 2024 deal before we turn back to Gary and um, get his view on AI. Um, this company, um, David, you say BYD, I say bid, um, you know, tomato, tomato. Um, well, I mean, yes, tomato, tomato, but I did actually take the time to... Uh, to Google a um, no, David. I'll tell you what the you Googled. official pronunciation. You Googled how do how do you pronounce BYD all in capitals? And of course, some sort of bot told you that you pronounce the letters BYD BYD. That is not necessarily how you pronounce the company name. Anyway, uh, this company BYD Bid is um, China's largest electric vehicle manufacturer. It's in fact the world's largest electric vehicle manufacturer now. It's uh, relatively recently overtaken Tesla. And this company and this category are my tips for um, the sports sponsorship scene this year. I think we're about to go mad for EV sponsorships. A couple of reasons for that. Um, uh, well, main reason it is a hugely competitive landscape and investment is coming in for it left, right and centre. Just in China, there are four or five um, giant uh, EV manufacturers competing with each other. Bid is the biggest, um, but there are a couple of others more or less on their level, Neo and Wuling. Um, they're already exporting um, well over 5 million cars uh, worldwide. Um, they're exporting 4.4 million a year to Europe. They've just opened up America as a market that they can sell cars to. And critically, they are cheap as chips compared to um, domestic and other offerings. So the um, the average sort of starter level Tesla is going to set you back um, around about $35,000. Um, these bid cars will set you back just over $10,000. Uh, so there is a huge bit of market to capture there and a very enticing price point um, to do it with. Um, so... Yeah, that's my tip for all sponsorship execs to get, uh, you know, get looking at, basically. <laughs> Gary, do you drive an EV? Do not. <laughs> well, you will soon, I'm sure. <laughs> um, right. Um, Gary, let's, you've, you've touched on it a few times in our conversation thus far, and um, it, it's AI, it's a, it's a technology that you guys at Veritone have been working with and harnessing for some time. It's obviously, you know, within the last 12 months, AI has become this huge global trend. Everyone's talking about it. I guess it's coming to the mainstream because of the impact that chat GPT and the like have had. Um, you've talked about AI without necessarily going into detail on how you use it and what it does for you. So I would love to know what you're doing with AI. Uh, and I guess... A further question is, with all this conversation about AI, should we be excited by it or or nervous of it? Well, I'll I'll, I'll take the latter first. Yes, um, the 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 there there's tremendous amount of upside 
but with tremendous amount of upside and innovation, there's always risk. And so um, Veritone has a, a platform uh, which is called AI for Good. And everything that we do from a foundational standpoint is all completely transparent. Um, you know, we'll we'll talk a little bit about some of the things we're doing uh, in in voice and and in other areas with with law enforcement that require the transparency to make sure that everything's above board. But yes, there's there's some things that are going to be you know really uh, some some potential bad actors doing bad things with technology, uh, and and that's not new. Uh, but the stakes seem to be a little bit higher because of the technologies advancing advancing at such a rapid pace that um, that what what folks are going to be able to do just in the public domain is 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 going to become normal, uh, and so we've got to be careful about it. And there are some technology companies that are that are creating technology to be able to tell what is right and what is wrong and what is a fake and what's what's real, et cetera. So so but but from a veritone perspective, that's foundational to our core. It, it needs to be done the right way and it needs to be transparent and, and everything needs to be uh, legal and double verified, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what we're doing, what Veritone is actually doing with AI and has done with AI is 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 fairly simple. It's It's creating efficiencies using technology and as a result, using that technology to help companies actually make more money and generate revenue. Um, I started to say we we go to market in three specific pillars. One is is believe it or not is hire recruiting, AI for recruitment. Bought a couple of companies over the last couple of years, so that's a that's a pillar for us. The other is is the public sector. We're doing a lot of work in in with government and, and law enforcement in redacting faces and finding bad actors, and again using the AI technology for that. And then and then obviously what's relevant here is our our work in media and entertainment and sports and advertising. And, and at the end of the day, we, we use the operating system of all those AI engines to be able to pull in content, whether it's video, audio, text, doesn't matter, run those AI engines like facial recognition, logo detection, transcription, object detection, to be able to tag all of that content and then put it in a platform that you're, it's easily searchable and, and, and easily uh, found to be able to then use it for whatever you want to use it for. And so... The digitization component we talked about earlier in the conversation around getting those tapes digitized so that you can tag them and be able to run those engines against them, put them in that platform, and then be able to then, you know, use it for fan engagement purposes. Find what you're looking for, create clips, and push them out to social media. Uh, be able to license uh, those the, that content in a very very easy and efficient manner. You know, we do this type of work for folks like. ESPN and the USTA and the Masters and I mentioned the the, the colleges and the conferences. Um, it, it, it's it's a it's it's pointing technology, simplifying um, you know what humans can do into into becoming much more efficient. And we talk a lot about um, humans in the loop, which is where the human is a part of the process. The human on the loop, where the technology is doing the majority of everything, and then. The human has to come in and 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 make sure that everything is verified and and double checked, et cetera. And then there's the human out of the loop, which is where some of this AI technology is heading. Things like you know camera operating without human humans. Um, but but invariably, Veriton's position is to is to keep that human somewhere in that loop, uh, so that so that the the AI for good foundation isn't lost 
and we're creating efficiencies and, and incremental job opportunities and employment opportunities as well. Just build a little bit on that for us, Gary, in terms of some of the changes in skill set that you're either currently seeing in sports media or maybe anticipating as some of this becomes uh, a lot more commonplace uh, in and around the industry. Who, who are people hiring? Who should they be thinking of hiring? It's a great question. Um, it, it, it's really very varied, and it starts with the sophistication level of each of the organizations. Some organizations are extremely sophisticated, have really smart um, and, and technical people who have been in AI for years. Look, I, I started out you know, 20 some odd years ago in, in data integration where, where you were, we were building algorithms and, and using big data sets. I mean, it's, it was the, it's, it's, it's AI before it was AI hot and sexy. Right. Um, so, so the, the, the skill set there from an analytics perspective does exist. Everything's just much bigger and much faster. Um, but from a skill set perspective, I, I see it in a couple of areas. Some of the organizations are looking to go out and outsource and hire experts and consultants to help them figure out who to hire and how to build those departments internally. But I also see, um, I see that there's a, a, a really interesting change at the, at the high school and college level in the U.S. around the change in curriculum. You know, you've, you've got uh, a lot of youngsters now that are, are, have the opportunity to take these types of courses in high school and certainly in college. Um, you know, the, the, the literally, you know, between the NIL in the U.S. and and athletes being able to generate incremental revenue uh, and the AI explosion, uh, you're seeing we're starting to see universities just just offer new new types of, of opportunities. Um, that's going to have a trickle down effect or trickle up effect, quite frankly. Um, and then you're going to start to see more and more of this skill set enter the workforce. And that goes back to you know AI creating new opportunities, not taking them away. And so you're just going to change the, 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 the mindset and the skill set of the technical capabilities of, of individuals at a variety of different levels. And then I'll make it personal. You've got folks like me. I have a completely different background, have, have entered into the AI space. Uh, I've taken the opportunity to become educated. And I think that's more and more, right? It, it's, it's, you've got a lot of folks who have a lot of solid corporate background, analytical background, sports marketing background that are now going to start to understand what this looks like. And, and the resources are there either through LinkedIn or YouTube or, 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 or Amazon is running all kinds of programs. Microsoft's running all kinds of programs. You can self-educate yourself in this space very easily. And I think you're going to have a lot of, of professionals starting to do that and have started to do that. I, I was going to ask about your advice to CEOs of sports organizations, Gary. I think you've just imparted it in terms of getting educated uh, on this and i wonder um i wonder where which direction are you heading for um that kind of information that kind of insight because it strikes me that there's the the big picture conversation about ai at a much wider level than the sports industry in terms of how it could impact you know, swathes of the workforce. It could impact the way that we receive information, the way that we digest information, a uh, huge amount of automation, of course. And then you've got the more specific use case studies that we're already seeing in sport and Veritone are involved in in a number of those. Sort of, you know, 
from a CEO of a sports organization's point of view, who knows this is going to be an important, critical topic for the future and how their business and organization is shaped in the future, is it macro or micro from your point of view? I'm going to give you a stock answer. It's both. Uh, what, what we're seeing now is the, a lot of the conversations we're having at that level are around, um, I have this issue. I have this problem. This is what we're trying to solve for. How do we take this technology and solve that problem? And so one of Veritone's uh, divisions that we very fast growing division is, is what we call our pro server, our consulting division. And it's not about selling our products and services. It's about selling our, our, our intelligence. We've been at this for 10 years. And so you've got a lot of folks out there like, you know, like us who have this intelligence, who can advise and guide the CEOs on what is the roadmap and, and, and how do we take what's currently available in the marketplace, understand it, but then put it to use for our specific needs. And so we're, we're having a lot of those conversations right now with organizations, with federations, with teams, uh, with some of the leagues who are just really understanding at a very high level, very, very senior level that there's something here and we better get educated because we're, we've got this small window to figure it out. The other piece of it is what I have found very interesting is that AI in general has a has been embraced on the technical and production side of the ecosystem for years the the explosion of chat gpt and generative ai has now awakened the revenue side or the marketing side of the organization and we have a unique opportunity to bridge that gap it's always been a cost center people are paying for those efficiencies if you're already paying for them how do you put them to work for you how do you make money out and using them for, for, for revenue generation and incremental revenue generation? And that's been fun. Those conversations are really fun. Um, and so that's, you know, David, I'm not sure if that answers your, your question directly, but, but that's where we, th those are the conversations we're having at the CEO level and at the CFO level. I wonder what, um, whether, whether you're in a position where you can give an example of a more uh, kind of creative approach to using AI to to generate revenue. Just as you're thinking, Gary, an example sprung to my mind. I heard the other day, um, I think there's a lot of future proofing going on when it comes to AI. So I heard the other day that one of the um, one of the big agencies um, has a one of the big representation agencies has a vault uh, in its offices in Hollywood. Um, where it's storing, it films, it has these sort of biometric cameras and all this sophisticated equipment, and it has captured uh, the most comprehensive view of all of its talent as it can, all the talent that's signed up to this scheme. And essentially, it is storing AI versions of all of its talent so that it controls, on behalf of its client, any future AI rendering of them it's got the rights to their physical manifestation and also because they've got the absolute best AI rendering in the vault in Hollywood. Um, you know, they're getting out ahead of the game. And I think that's really, I'm not sure whether they're monetizing it yet, but I'm sure they will in the future. Um, can you think of something sort of quite fun and creative, Gary? I can. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more to what you just described. 
that concept from talent management, whether it be athletes or or movie stars or 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 whomever, all of that data needs to sit in a vault in a what we call a digital media hub, which allows you to run all of the different types of technology or AI engines against all of that content. So whether it's a social media feed or it's their digital footprint um, or it's it's music they've produced, and then that is given, is controlled by both talent and the agency. And so then from there, you are in control. And then you each one of those, those, those uh, individuals and the agency can control and figure out where to push that, that, that content and how to monetize that content. So yes, the, the, the digital media locker, as we call it, for that particular purpose uh, is, is, is usable in the NIL space for the athletes. We, we just launched a program or part of a program with the Big Ten um, that created, a, since we own those rights, if, if any student athlete in the Big Ten Conference wants to use any game footage for NIL purposes, it all ends up coming through Veritone. We, we provide the, the licensing component of that uh, and, and, and help facilitate that transaction between the athlete and the brand. And so there's that. And then just, you know, we, we did a, pro, a project for uh, a, a network who owns the rights to a particular sport who had an issue of trying to corral multiple audio feeds and they were using individual people to listen to the audio feeds between the athlete, call it the referees, the athletes, whomever, and, and their, their, uh, the truck and, and their individual teams. And they were handling that through human beings trying to figure out how to incorporate that. They came to us and said, can you use AI to be able to listen into the audio feed, transcribe it instantaneously, create a dashboard so that the producers and the directors of the broadcast can see the audio in real time to be able to then pull that into the broadcast instantaneously. And so that's a use of us coming in, using our technology, using AI technology to do instantaneous transcription built again platform to be able to have keywords so that the directors and the producers can then pull that in and then the, they can use it for for shoulder programming and incremental sponsorship saying you know this is what so-and-so said during the broadcast etc so so that's a way of, of of using technology from a production standpoint to create efficiencies but then having the ability to use that on the back end to sell incremental sponsorships too and um, and then that's transferable it's transferable to you know, think about the capability and technology of the golfers having being mic'd up and the referees being mic'd up. And now the baseball players are now mic'd up. Where is all that going? How can that be integrated into the broadcast in a, in a seamless way? Gary, we've reached the uh, the point of the podcast where we're going to ask for your um, your cultural recommendations. What have you been uh, What have you been watching, reading, listening to um, that has made an impact somehow on you? Uh, that's a good question. I, I... I am reading at the moment, uh, the, there's this book called This Is Not a Dress Rehearsal by Michelle Muscalier, former IMG. Yes. Uh, a good, I wonder where you got that. Uh, yeah, you would, you, would, you would be surprised, right? Um, someone someone uh, I respect handed it someone, to me. Someone left it on a train. Someone, someone uh, I respect greatly uh, sent it to me, and uh, I'm enjoying that. It's a, it's a really interesting read. It's, it's, it's both helpful and insightful. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to sending it to my kids 
because I think there's a good foundational message in there. So, so that's good. I'm a, I'm a big Brad Meltzer fan. I don't know if you know who Brad Meltzer is, but he's a, an author and a, and a producer and, and he's, he's written, uh, uh, he's, he's in the, you know, John Grisham, David Baldacci camp from a mystery perspective, but he's also written children's books, um, that are fascinating. You know, I am, it's an I am series. I am Jackie Robinson. I am Billie Jean King. I am Amelia Earhart. I am Gandhi. Uh, also great, great, great gift. If you're looking for, you know, kid, you know, people who have children just starting out, uh, youngsters, um, really, really great educational uh, stuff. And so I'm a big fan of Brad's, uh, as well. Um, and then anything I can get my hands on, it's mystery, you know, drama type stuff. I'm right currently reading a, a, an author by the name of Karen Slaughter, who I find fascinating. Murder Mysteries by Karen Slaughter? Uh, a bunch, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've, yeah. if you've seen the Will Trent TV show that's uh, that's out these days, but the, those are all based on her writings. So nominative determinism at its best. That um, interestingly, you mentioned Michelle Miskelier, uh, former president of IMG Media, of course. Um, I don't know what your um, David, whether you like that. You know those sort of Christmas round robins that you sometimes get. People send you photos of their their families, or you know. Jimmy did his GCSEs this year, that kind of thing. I like receiving them. I would never well, I would send never, one. Obviously, you would never give away private details like that. But um, I'm not sure about receiving them in my personal life, but I really like to receive them in my professional life for some reason. And Michelle Miskelier was always fantastic at sending a corporate personal update at Christmas. I always looked forward to receiving a Christmas image of Michelle Miskelier and his family on a ferris wheel or something like that wishing me um happy holidays you don't get many like that anymore well i think you do but i think the platform's changed and i think you get them on linkedin oh, right yeah where people offer their do you know what self-assessment someone else who does that philippe blatter uh at infra philippe blatter and michelle muskelly just old school um sports agency folks david any recommendations from you a couple from me um i have read a fantastic book um which is a celebration of Sports Report, the institution that is uh, BBC Radio's uh, longest-running sports show, um, 5 p.m. Saturday afternoons, uh, rounding up all the sport. Uh, and uh, it's written by Pat Murphy, who's a long-time uh, reporter on uh, Sports Report, the history of it, how it comes together, but also just really good on uh, how journalistic standards have always been at the heart of that uh, ever since it launched and how it's had to evolve with the times lots of dramatic moments um, lots of uh, happy moments lots of sad moments in there but it's a terrific history and it's right in my sport meets radio sweet spot and a sports documentary that I would highly recommend is um, the documentary that followed Anjabur, the Tunisian tennis player, a twice-beaten Wimbledon finalist over the past couple of years. This is a documentary produced by uh, BN Sports for their Todd uh, TV now, David, streaming are you, platform. Are you sure you pronounce that Todd? It, I think it's T-O-D. It could be T-O-D, who knows. But, I think it is, uh, on demand. Big thanks to Dan Shaw and Matt Critchley at BN for supplying me with an advanced copy of this because it's not available in Europe uh, just yet. Uh, although I would highly recommend it. So if you are a, a European sports distributor uh, listening, get your hands on this. It's called This Is Me, follows her throughout last season. Uh, 
I have rarely watched anything uh, that's a, a behind the scenes of an athlete that's as raw and unflinching as this. It is. Uh, it's quite uncomfortable to watch at times, actually, but it's a fascinating story. Um, doesn't have the happy ending that uh, people coming into it might have uh, wanted it to, uh, but she's great and it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and final one from me. I've been listening to a lot of um, uh, a newish podcast called The Rest is Entertainment uh, from the Goalhanger stable of podcasts. Um it's about the entertainment media landscape. It's Richard Osman and Marina Hyde, who are both uh, big entertainment figures in the UK. And there's a particular episode recently where they're talking about the darts over here in the UK and Luke Littler, um, the 16-year-old who didn't win and therefore won't be a story for much uh, longer. Um, and I thought it was fascinating within this discussion of, of darts and how the numbers that that did on Sky were extraordinary for the event that it was, bigger than um, recent kind of large cricket games, rugby games, etc. Bigger than any non-football Bigger than any non-football live event on Sky Sports. Um, and within this discussion, the two hosts talk about the inevitability of entertainment networks in the streaming age having to have live sports as part of their portfolio which in my view is a kind of dissenting opinion than the one that we routinely hear um, from people kind of on the fringes of sport at organizations like Netflix for example who routinely deny um, that that would be transformative in any way to their business to get it from the entertainment folks who aren't really focused on sports at all that this is inevitability it's the only way that you can drive real numbers in a streaming age i think is is quite interesting anyway we will leave it there we've been rabbiting on for uh more than enough it just remains uh, to thank our guest uh today gary warwick thank you very much indeed thank you both appreciate it been fun <laughs>